So small a thing. That's what it was. So small a thing. God's response to a world of sorrow was to send a messenger to a small girl named Mary living in a small town, in a small nation, in an otherwise huge empire. A messenger who came prepared to deliver a small gift, waiting only for Mary to accept it with the smallest of gestures, a nod and a whispered yes. And so Mary did just that. And the Spirit came sometime after and gave the smallest gift of all. And Mary took that gift within her own small womb and kept it there until the time came for it to be presented to a world in need. And so it was. A whole world of sorrow, a people cut and bruised and worn by the powerful effects of sin. Their own sin, first of all. The accumulated weight of generations of human failure and faithlessness, of flirtations with other gods, of striving for power, for security, for control of their own destiny. The consequences of their sins seem so obvious to us now that we wonder at their inability to see. We cannot make sense of their inability to understand that all their efforts to find a way other than the one established by God would end in misery, in suffering, in despair. To a people held captive by chains of their own making, God announced salvation with the cry of a newborn baby. But it was not just their own sin that bound them, nor were they the only ones so bound. It was human sin in general, and all of humanity caught in its snare. The sins of emperors and kings, pharaohs and princes, generals and merchants. The fall from grace was not limited to Israel and the Jews. All had sinned. All had fallen short of the glory intended for them by the Creator. Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, Romans, one after another. They tried to create a world in their own image, a world of power and domination, of might makes right, of security through military force, of peace and prosperity through preemptive strikes and armed conquest. One after another they tried. One after another they failed. They failed to see that in the end all their efforts were vanity, all sound and fury signifying nothing. To a world caught up in the noise of its own striving, God whispered salvation in the voice of a young woman soothing her newborn baby. Now, looking back, we know that that small thing, that baby's cry, that gentle whisper from heaven was, in fact, something larger and deeper than anything that's happened before or since. In that small one, in that newborn baby, rested the fullness of God. Now, how such a thing can be, we do not know. But in faith, we accept it and we say that it is true. In that newborn baby was the fullness of God. And so we call him Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary and Joseph. And so we call him Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. No small thing at all. But just what we've been waiting for. Because in Christ was and is our salvation. In Christ was and is the salvation of the whole world. Just what we've been waiting for. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. When God was ready, a child was born and a door was open. Salvation was given not only to the Jews, those who had waited so long. Salvation was given to all people, even to those who had little idea of their need for it. And because of that small, great thing, we are here today set to sing songs of praise and thanksgiving to the God who adopted us. And so a baby was born in Bethlehem. This small, great thing happened with only shepherds to bear witness. 
shepherds and two weary parents, perhaps a cow or a donkey, a sheep or a goat. Hardly the setting that we'd have chosen for the coming of God into the world, but somehow just right. Shepherds to tell of so small a thing and angels to speak to its greatness. And so it came to pass. And then Luke tells us Mary and Joseph had Jesus circumcised on the eighth day of his life in obedience to the law of Moses. And then some 32 days after that, the family made its way to Jerusalem again in obedience to the law. They would present Jesus to God and they would offer the sacrifice necessary to allow Mary access to full participation in the community. As Luke points out, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. Those firstborn males belong to the Lord and were the Lord's to use as only God saw fit. But the law also made provision in Numbers chapter 18 for parents to redeem their firstborn son, to buy him back, as it were, with a payment to one of the temple priests. And so Mary and Joseph, in obedience, brought Jesus to the temple. But notice what they did not do, at least as Luke tells it. They made no payment to redeem Jesus. Instead, hearing echoes from the story of Samuel and his mother and mother Hannah, we to understand that Jesus himself remained wholly dedicated to the Lord. Mary and Joseph also came to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice for Mary's purification. According to Leviticus 12, a woman giving birth to a son was considered ritually unclean, that is, unable to enter into the activities of the worshiping community for a period of 40 days after the birth. And on the 40th day, the woman was to come to the temple with an offering of a lamb and a pigeon or a dove. If the family were poor, a second pigeon or dove could be substituted for the lamb. And that's what Mary and Joseph were able to afford. And so in obedience to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph came to Jerusalem for two purposes. They planned to accomplish those purposes and then get ready to go back home to Nazareth. But before they could even get started, a miracle happened. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, as we've already heard, Simeon was somebody who knew how to wait. In fact, the same could have been said of any devout Jew of his day. The Jewish people had spent centuries waiting for the coming of God's anointed one, God's Messiah. Since the days of their captivity in Babylon, the people of God had been waiting for God's Messiah to be revealed and with his coming for the salvation of God's people to finally be realized. It had been a long, long, long wait. Lifetimes, in fact. And all these centuries later, some, like Simeon, still waited. Day after day, he came to the temple to worship. Day after day, he prayed. Day after day, then year after year, Simeon gave himself to the act of waiting for the salvation, for the healing of Israel. And what faith he must have had. What patience. I mean, four weeks of waiting seems like an awfully long time to us. Imagine waiting lifetimes. Well, Simeon had patience, and it's a good thing, too, because it's that faith, that patience, which puts Simeon in position to be led by the Spirit to the temple where he discovered that his waiting was over. For when Mary and Joseph brought their baby to Simeon as the law required, the Holy Spirit revealed to him who this baby really was, the answer to every promise, the end to all waiting. And Simeon sang. He praised God, Luke tells us, and we can only imagine the sound of his voice, singing, shouting, rejoicing, sobbing. 
and gratitude and relief. Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. At last, at last, at last, the waiting was over. Now Simeon could die in peace, knowing that God's word had been fulfilled. The promise had come, the promised one had come, and the whole world would be enlightened by his coming. A baby, a little baby, amazing to think of it. All the glory of God's promised redemption, and Simeon could hold him in his arms. He could go home now, having touched the tiny fingers of the Redeemer, having smelled the sweetness of his skin, having heard the beginnings of his voice. And so Simeon praised God in the presence of a young man and a young woman and their baby, whose coming was the cause of that praising. And when Simeon was done with his singing, he opened his eyes and saw them there, Mary and Joseph, dumbfounded by what he'd been singing. Their mouths were hanging open in their amazement. I mean, all parents believe that their child is unique and even extraordinary, the best, the most beautiful, the brightest Mary and Joseph were no exception. But few parents have the local saint begin shouting praises to God when he meets their child. They must have been astonished to have their private thoughts confirmed in such dramatic fashion. But now something turns. The story shifts to another deeper and darker place. Did Simeon see that look on Mary's face and begin to feel pity? Did he see in her eyes the eyes of the nation of Israel longing for the deliverer to come, but so naive about what his coming would mean to them? Was Simeon moved by compassion when he told Mary of the shadows cast by the baby's light? We don't know, but we do know he somehow felt compelled to tell Mary and Joseph that the road ahead would not be easy for them or for anyone else whose life would touch that of the baby Jesus. The Messiah's coming would disrupt families and whole nations. It would be opposed by many, and many bad things would happen before the final salvation was won. The path, the baby's path and that of the nation, well, it would travel an awfully long way down before rising again. And Mary's heart would be pierced by the pain that comes from the deepest love. But as if aware that this season demands a happier, even if temporary, ending, Luke describes another miracle. Before Joseph and Mary finish saying goodbye to Simeon, they heard a woman's voice rise up above the noise of the temple grounds, a voice singing and praising God, preaching to all who were within the sound of her voice that God's redemption had come. Anna, like Simeon, had given her life to waiting. She spent her days fasting and praying, and her nights were spent the same way, too. She was a prophet, an 84-year-old widow and a servant of the living God. She, too, was full of the Holy Spirit, and she was also in the right place waiting when the Spirit of the Lord caused her to begin speaking about the child. Now, we don't even know if she saw Mary, Joseph, and the baby. Luke doesn't say. Maybe her experience was like that of Simeon, and she was able to hold God's promise in her arms, or maybe she simply was made to know that, that the child was near, that he'd been born, and so knew the time had come to tell the world. We do know. We do know that she praised God and began to spread the news to all who were waiting for it, that the redemption of Jerusalem was at hand. And finally, after waiting for Simeon and then Anna and then all the others who were attracted to the baby by all the singing and praising, Mary and Joseph completed their tasks. They packed up their baby and they went home to Nazareth in Galilee 
where the baby grew and became strong and wise, favored by God, everything a mother and father could want for their child. And there we will leave them, tired, hungry, still dazed by what happened in Jerusalem. The baby's crying, needing his diaper changed and waiting to be nursed and burped and then rocked to sleep. The father tends to the donkey and gathers wood for the fire. And the mother looks into the eyes of her hungry, sleepy baby and tries to remember exactly what the old man said about her son. There was so much to ponder. And as she draws into her breast, she finds her heart full of love for her little boy. Nine long months she carried him, all the time waiting, wondering what this miraculous baby would look like. Waiting and praying for the day when she would finally meet her firstborn son. And now that day had come and gone. And as she holds him in her arms, she knows beyond any doubt that he was well worth the wait. All miracles are, no matter how small, no matter how great. Advent has been a time for waiting. Waiting for the coming into the world of the Christ child. That child whose coming marked the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise, a promise kept alive in the hearts and minds of people like Simeon and Anna. That child whose coming revealed the true extent of God's promise, a promise wide and deep enough to make room for us adopted daughters and sons of God, a promise now kept alive in the hearts and minds of people like you and me. On the day their waiting ended, Simeon and Anna could not contain their joy. They lifted their voices above the noise of the temple grounds and sang and preached and taught in ways that still touch us today. It was as if all the emotions being held captive by their waiting were finally released when the one whose coming they awaited at last appeared. Emotions so full of fire and life, they were still warmed by them today. Which is a good and necessary thing. For like Simeon, And Anna, we too have been waiting for an awfully long time. We too have tried to faithfully attend to our calling as God's children to worship and live according to God's purpose and plan. And we too do these things in a context of violence and oppression, a context in which death still seems to hold sway, a context that belies the power of God's promise and threatens us with unbelief and hopelessness. 2,000 years after that small but great miracle occurred, Humanity remains bent on domination and power and security at any cost. Humanity is still too foolish or too proud to understand the futility of such things. As it was then, so it is today. We are in need of salvation. We know it has already come in Christ Jesus. And we know it is not yet complete. And so like Simeon and Anna, we wait. But waiting is hard. Waiting is hard, maybe harder now than ever before. And so we need Advent. We need this yearly corporate exercise in patience. We need the practice of sitting still or at least walking more slowly and deliberately for a while. In such small acts of waiting, we find our faith strengthened and renewed for the longer wait ahead of us. But we also need to experience the joy of waiting's end, the joy of Christmas, the joy felt by Simeon and Anna as they realized that their waiting was over and had not been in vain. The joy we feel when we sing the old carols and light the candles and welcome old friends and strangers to come and worship with us. We need to feel again the wonder of stars and shepherds, of a baby lying in a manger, of a heavenly host singing, Hallelujah. 
Just as we need Advent to help us practice patient and faithful waiting, so we need Christmas to help us practice singing and rejoicing for when our waiting, too, will be over. This Advent season, we've waited for the revealing of God's face. As we began, God's face seemed hidden. And then week by week, as we waited, we saw God's face revealed, the comforting face of God, the restoring face of God, the indwelling face of God. And now on this day, the face of God revealed and the face of a baby. This is our story. This is our history, our truth, our reality. All that we've been waiting for has already come in the small but great miracle of Christmas. All that we are still waiting for will one day come with Christ when he comes again. May our experience of joy this Christmas season be only the smallest foretaste of the joy yet to come. For our eyes have seen God's salvation, which the Lord prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to God's people Israel. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. The light has come. Salvation is at hand. The waiting is ended. Even so, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.